supposed to do it too you were supposed to do it too i know i wanted to watch you do your cowboy laugh dude <laughs> i got ya oh <laughs> man you turned off the radio while i was singing <laughs> i gotcha god that was so mean that was fun to watch that was Thank very you. vulnerable for me whatever <laughs> welcome to ticket talk folks where uh, wives abuse uh, husbands uh <laughs> now we are Public here to cliche. talk about real connections that's mm. r-e-e-l because we're clever Real connections. Yeah, we're talking about the real connections in movies. And this week's movie is Beautiful Boy, mm-hmm. a 2018 film. Yep, you probably saw it in the title. Uh, you're probably wondering why we keep doing all these old movies. Well, guess what? because no new movies about relationships are coming out yet. And we have so many that we haven't seen. Yep. Like, and so many in the in past the that theaters, we want to see. Yeah. We, you know, we typically go to Regal and we haven't really seen any big relationship heavy movies mainly there's some marvel and some superhero and then uh it's that one coming out now that everybody's talking about uh asteroid city we got to see that just for fun at some point too oh yeah i forgot about asteroid city i thought you were talking about like uh little mermaid or something like that yeah that came out recently yeah so anyway it just didn't really align with the podcast but there's some good movies coming out just not relationship based i mean little mermaid is relationship based that's true yeah relationship between one mermaid and her legs doesn't she like give up her voice or something in that to like get with yes. like a very basic I looking think dude the last time i watched it i was literally six but uh, yeah that i think so right. too yeah. yeah yeah oh well um how was your day man how was your day <sighs> i had a weird day yeah i feel like we both did but mine was particularly strange i uh <laughs> so one of our vehicles is in the shop because the entire transmission went out Woo-hoo. and so we're used to having two cars and not depending on each other on building our schedules around each other well dakota's been taking so i work from home and he has an in-person job so he took our car to work today mm-hmm. and i had a passport photo due uh to get very soon and uh I walked outside and there was no vehicle in the driveway. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) And this is the second time you've rescheduled this? Third. That would be the third. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, the uh, holiday weekend really threw me off with like Juneteenth and being productive and knowing where to be and when. So uh, since I didn't have a car, I was very bummed and didn't really know what to do. And I was like daydreaming about taking an Uber or an electric scooter, but our electric scooters are in the back of the car that Dakota took. Yay. So I went the old fashioned way and rode my bike. Mm-hmm. And in a one hour lunch break, I was able to pedal my way to UPS to get my passport photo and then pedal my way back. And my quads still burn. <laughs> and it was a very <laughs> exhausting lunch break. And then I had to meet a plumber in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So very uh, suburb things going on today and i was just like physically exhausted like i literally i don't even think i told you i lay i plopped on the couch when i got home just to like breathe because it's like hot and humid and i rode my bike for four miles Mm -hmm. and uh, i got up and i had to like get on all fours because i got so woozy after i stood up oh my god you didn't tell me about that yeah the thing that you don't realize about cruisers is that they're so heavy and you think that they're going to be like, oh, it's just fun for riding on flat surfaces. And they are. But the mm-hmm. second you go up a hill, 
you regret every cent that you've spent on that damn thing yep because the bikes we bought are step through upright bikes so it takes like all quad power to like push yeah you're basically doing lunges the entire time which i guess is typical of a bike but when you lean more forward i feel like you get more leverage but when you're upright it's all leg it's all leg (laughs) it's all leg no i i totally i have a friend who likes to bike and so we went biking once and he was flying around on his little uh road bike and i'm just like trying to keep up conversation it was horrible yeah but tell them why you went to go get your passport done oh Ah, i'm scared um basically i was told last week during a meeting very uh out of the blue (laughs) (laughs) that's french for blue uh that i'm going to cape town south south africa yeah for a business trip in October, right? Uh, end of October. It's basically November. It's like the first week of November. That's so crazy. Yeah, I'm terrified. I will say, I've say, said this multiple times in front of you, so I'm sure you're sick of it. It was not on my lifetime uh, bingo, bingo card, card. Yeah. yeah, to go to Africa. Which but. is annoying because it was for me. Yeah. Ugh. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I'm, Cape Town looks kind of resorty and swanky and fun. Um, and then I think there's actually like safari excursions and things oh my god mind you guys i don't think i'm going on any of the fancy things or doing the fancy things but i get to witness other cool people do it so still yeah i mean I'm, they're well, like I'm, beach penguins there yeah, i know yeah. yeah so anyway i'm not complaining by any means but it's intimidating yeah especially because i work from home and don't interact with anyone i work with and this will be besides the christmas party i went to the first time i'll ever be around them so well, I, I do joke, but I am happy that you get to go. I think yeah. it'll be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And you're going to miss out a lot, on a lot when you're when you're away. Yeah. I'm going to be probably golfing. I'm going to be probably in November. crying in the tub. <laughs> I'm going to probably be having Vito lick peanut butter off a spoon right next to me while I lick peanut butter off a spoon <laughs> and probably cry then too. And yeah. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. You'll watch lots of Star Wars yeah, I'm sure and you'll I play will. lots of video games and you'll eat so much gluten and pizza oh and dairy. Oh, my God. Uh, when's uh, <laughs> you'll float away when's October <laughs> <laughs> couple months, I, months. I, I don't know if you could hear me hard swallow when you about pizza. you'll Kitty. have fun without me <laughs> no but I know long story short uh, my day was crazy but also we had a fun weekend we gotta yeah. talk about that yeah we'll, we'll be quick we'll be quick we'll be quick uh, we so we had a three day weekend we were both lucky enough to be able to observe uh, June 13th 19th very 19th. close on monday juneteenth juneteenth Mm -hmm. i think that's why my mouth said teenth that's okay (laughs) uh that's weird that 19 anyway whatever uh so we had a three-day weekend and we took advantage of that by going to washington dc yeah went and walked the mall it was sick we didn't walk it we scootied we did scooty it was a whole last vibe it was highly recommend like even if you don't own an electric scooter they have lime scooters all around washington dc like Mm -hmm. that's the way to go man scoot around you can get so far on those things jet was tearing up the nation's front lawn it was amazing <laughs> we were right at the base of the uh, washington memorial or something mm-hmm. like that the big pointy the, thing not memorial monument monument right? washington monument i don't know but all i know is that you were going 35 in a 25 <laughs> I uh, was probably on a scooter going in the 10, grass no, and I, I was doing cookies and it was fun it looked pretty fun it it was a good time. <laughs> and then we surprised ourselves after that. So what was cool about DC is that a lot of the museums were free. Not all of them, but since we didn't really have an agenda for the day. And a lot of them were reserved out for the holiday right, weekend. Right. So we just kind of popped in wherever was free, got coffee, had a nice lunch, mm-hmm. and then just like sightseed, 
Sight saw. Sight saw. Uh, we saw the White House and the U.S. Capitol and all these amazing buildings and beautiful architecture. And honestly, D.C. was a vibe. It was a vibe. I really liked being there. And then we got, you know, we saw what we were going to see there for free, anywho. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, man, we got a three-hour road trip home. And then you had the brilliant idea of going to Baltimore. Yeah, we had so much more gas in the tank because we weren't walking with our human legs yeah. around stupid lawns. We were riding scooties. Yeah, we probably did like a five-mile loop or something on our scooters. Oh, probably way more than that. We yeah. used the whole battery on the damn things. Yeah. But yeah, it was fun. And then we got to Baltimore. Uh, got to walk around, meet some locals, and they were all very nice. Mm-hmm. They gave us the the lowdown on some like local spots for surf and turf mm-hmm. um we met this super nice lady who ended up like <laughs> telling us about up. like this she she did chat us up quite a bit it, it was very funny but we were like kind of stuck uh trying to get parking and stuff so we, we didn't really want to leave and she was being pleasant enough and we asked her i was like do you know any place to get like good crab around here because we were we were hankering for some crab mm-hmm. and we haven't had crab in years well because maryland this was our first well you had been to maryland before but just to yeah golf just, once. just the golf and then get out of there but we had heard it's all about the crab there yeah, so we're yeah. like should we take advantage mm-hmm and specifically Baltimore too, and so we went to this place called like St. James or Captain James Captain or something like that. James Landing. Or yeah, something like that. yeah. It was recommended to us by that that lady we were talking to, and she said, "Oh, by the way, Groupon has this crazy coupon where you can go on there, pay fifty bucks, and you get a hundred dollar gift card." Yep. And so we went there, and it totally worked. Yeah. Except like, when we sat down, they were like, "Oh, by the way, you can't use it on crab." And we're like, we're "No." Like, what's the only reason we're here and they were like well you can use it on crab legs and we're like that's why we're here what? yeah i guess the like maryland crab that they're like famous for is like a, called a blue crab a blue crab yeah and you get like the whole body of the crab and most of the meat is in the like torso yeah, yeah. of the crab which we weren't really i mean we're we're relatively what would you call it prudish shy mm-hmm. when it comes to seafood in general so like a crab leg is about as you know fancy as we'll get we're so, just babies yeah i yeah. would be intimidated by a crab body but it was fun to crunch and crunch our way through those oh, delicious man. morsels of legs my Snow mouth crab. is watering yeah, even thinking it was about really them. good dipped them in butter Ooh, and we had so steak yeah. so we had a big old ribeye and a like half pound of snow crab all for like like it was probably like 60 bucks all in i think so yeah. while eating out and it was like in actually downtown baltimore it was mm-hmm. great it was such a fun experience it was mm-hmm. so good bam yeah. i feel like that basically wraps up our week though i felt like it was a pretty light week i got my architecture what? materials but oh what 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 we did went i miss to a concert last night oh my god i totally forgot about uh, that no. yeah we had a long amazing weekend oh my goodness yeah we got like three big things in this weekend we went and saw one of my favorite artists right now zella day bro mm-hmm. i'm i feel so bad i forgot about her we actually we got to meet her mm-hmm. um we were like sitting in a vip section that we snuck into on accident <laughs> after the show and she like came over and signed our records and mm-hmm. she was so sweet to us um very good performer with a very super unique good voice. performance yeah. yeah everyone everyone should listen to her i discovered her through like anthony fantano i think needle drop on youtube or something mm-hmm. like that gave her a if a, a nine out of ten if not a ten out of ten um for like kind of her disco folky thing and it is it's so good and she had such a yeah. good performance yeah she was quite the performer she's very athletic running around little stilettos and freaking yeah jumping around everywhere mm-hmm. was she was on time. like needlepoint stilettos yeah. that whole show was pretty crazy because the opener okie dokie i think is what they were called yeah. was like climbing in the rafters and stuff mm-hmm. and making very direct and 
longing eye contact with my wife, which it, was odd, but it was a little weird. Whatever. It was a little weird. <laughs> but we it, we went to the Foundry in Philadelphia to see that show, and we showed up on time. And I think a lot of people skip. Like I bet city folk are just more used to going to concerts regularly. A lot of people showed up late. Yeah, like they, they just like, skip the they opener. They skip the opener. Yeah. So we were there for the opener, like when the show was supposed to yeah, start. Yeah, we got their front row seats. Yeah, and we got the freaking gate right behind the like drummer. So I mean, that was kind of loud, but. Mm-hmm. It was great. And it was cool, too, because I feel like, unlike most shows, this opener was actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I will admit, some of the songs I couldn't quite hear. I mean, we were, like, right behind the drummer, so yeah. the quality wasn't there quite as much. But um, we actually listened to some of their stuff after the fact, and they're actually pretty good. Yeah. Okie dokie. Yeah. You know, check them out. It was a good out. show. It was a good show. So, yeah, we really drew out our weekend doing all sorts of crazy things. Like, we literally went in on Friday. We had no plans for the weekend. We knew we were going to end with zella day Mm -hmm. but we hadn't intended to go to dc or baltimore so it was like quite the amazing day yeah i feel like we it's been i feel like it's been so long since we did the podcast i know it was last week yeah i feel like it's been so long since i worked even though it was just last week yeah (laughs) because we also had a game night with our friends this weekend too oh my god Mm -hmm. i feel like i've lived a whole life I think the time. heat's getting to me like my brain's just melting. Yeah, but that's how I feel. Whatever. We should we should get to this movie. What do you think? Yeah, okay. let's do it. Okay. So, as we mentioned, we're doing the movie Beautiful Boy, and I'm just going to read a short synopsis. synopsis I like synopsis better. Schnip, schnip. Uh, because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to cover the majority of what we need to, and we'll break down some of the scenes later on. So, after he and his wife first separate... Journalist David Sheff, played by Steve Carell, struggles to help their their teenage son, Timothy Chalamet, who plays Nick in the movie, who goes from experimenting with drugs to becoming Devin Devin Uh-oh. Devin Stigatingly What? <laughs> devastatingly addicted oh. to meth. Shouldn't be sense. laughing talking about meth. Uh, it's directed by Felix Van Grogan and based on Chef's best-selling memoir, Beautiful Boy, A Father's Journey Through His Son's Addiction. Mm-hmm. Is that it? That's it. That was the best <laughs> reading of a synopsis I've ever heard in my Thank whole life. Thank you. But it gets the, everybody gets the point. Yeah. No. It, that wasn't <laughs> devishnating at all. <laughs> I devishnated myself. <laughs> Uh, should we take a little breaky poo before we yes. get into the actual meat and bones? A little promo break. Okay. Concessions. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ticket Talk, folks. We're happy to have you here, and we wanted to remind you that this is a self produced itty bitty widow podcast, <laughs> and we need your help. We're trying to build a community, and we don't do anything to promote this podcast on any platform. So it's it's all by word of mouth. And if you see our Instagram reels or something like that, if you guys could do your part and just share it or tell people that you know about it, that would be such a huge help in growing this community. Yeah, you could drop a comment. Um, we're available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, which it's super helpful on there for you know, the old algorithm to leave us a review, say what you like about us there, maybe don't like, stir up some drama and get things moving so people can discover our itty bitty little podcast. Yeah. Like, rate, subscribe, tell everyone about it. Tell your mom, your mom's friend, Angie, your dad, your dad's dead friend, Carl, 
um, your work wife, your... I would encourage you, especially if you're an intern at a, you know, top 10 tech company, to send it in a reply all format yeah, email. Yeah, and just play it off as an accident. Yes, yeah. to everyone at your company. Uh-huh, and they just be like, oops, it's just a little baby podcast. <laughs> I didn't mean <laughs> to I do that. I didn't mean to, but it's up to you. So anyway, you know how to use the internet. You know how to listen to your favorite podcasts and engage with folks. We just hope that you do it with us. Go, Go team! Welcome, Welcome back. back! I should have stopped and made you do it by yourself. Yeah. Payback for being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope everyone had enough time to recover from my horrible reading of that IMDb summary of this movie. Yeah. And now we can just go into talking about what happened in this movie. And honestly, it's super sad, so prepare thyself. Content warning. I've, I've seen sadder movies. I don't know. But it is pretty sad. Mm, yeah. Definitely content warning. Definitely trigger warning for sure. But it's not going to like kill you or whatever. Yeah. Beautiful Boy, 2018. Beautiful boy. Tell me more about it. What was its Rotten Tomatoes score? So it was a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes. Surprising, yes. You know, this might show my cards a little bit early. But I feel like that's right on. Like spot on. That's like exactly what I would get it. give it. Interesting. Okay. And, and then IMDb gave it a what? 7.3. Okay. Which is probably more of what I would give it, I think. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, feel like we were too nice because honestly, last week we did the movie Her. And that and was I a banger. Haven't, I feel like that was one of the things I wanted to banter about today was how much I've been thinking about AI in the last week. I won't go there now. But long story short, that movie really sat with me very well and seemed very relevant, but also good and beautiful and awesome in so many ways. And compared to Beautiful Boy, left a lot to be desired. You know, I, I will actually agree with that. I feel like there were some scenes that maybe went on a little bit too long. And I think I think other people felt the same way we did. Um, mm-hmm. Even though it was in what I would consider a passing score in like the sevens, uh, kind of some had eights, but mostly it was in like the six or sevens. Uh, this movie had a budget of 25 million bucks. And it, it makes sense with big names like Steve Carell, Timothy Chalamet. But it only ended up making a box office hit of like sixteen million, mm-hmm. which is not great. So like um, just barely over half. They made half their money back. Yeah. I don't know how that works in movies. Like, I hope they're insured. <laughs> I don't know. Like, who's in that much debt? I don't know. Well, Here like, we are I imagine it's investments, loans. right? You just kind of like, you make as many movies, you spread mm. out your investments, see which one hits. I guess so. I don't know. Movies make billions of dollars nowadays. So it's just, yeah. I don't know. But um, anyway. The main actors, the main characters in this movie are, one, David, who we've already talked about, Steve Carell. He is our main protagonist, dealing with his relationship of our second main character, two, Nick, his son. Played uh, by Timothy Chalamet. Played by the one with the shiny... Uh, the jawline the of jawline the century. The jawline of the century. He looks like handsome Squidward. Yep. Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, David is currently married to his uh, new stepmother wife, not his stepmother, (laughs) (laughs) Timothy Chalamet's stepmother, uh, David's new wife, uh, played by Mara Tierney? Tierney? Tierney, yeah. Tierney, yeah. Who, her character name is Karen. Yeah. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. So just to recap. It's not a bad. David is married to Karen. Karen is the stepmom of Nick, who is David's firstborn child. Yeah, I really butchered that, right? Uh, it's whatever. All right. We have um, our days. 
But the other kind of floating character out there, there's two of them, is uh, Timothy Chalamet's girlfriend, kind of on and off, who is Lauren. We'll have a debate on whether or not it's the same girl throughout mm. the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his, uh, David's ex-wife, Steve Carell's ex-wife, uh, Vicky, uh, who is played by Amy Ryan, which is the plot twist of the century, <laughs> because they must have just been hot off the press of The Office yeah, when they recorded this. That's so true. And so it's like those two characters got it's married so and then had a meth me. baby. <laughs> yes, it's so crazy that they chose to cast them together. Because if you've seen The Office, I wish I knew her name in The Office, but she's kind of the silly HR lady that um, Michael Scott ends up with. The, like blonde lady yeah if you know yeah. you know you but know. it's just like crazy that they actually casted them together in a movie <laughs> as like ex ex married people so yeah anyway. it's pretty insane but we let's talk about the relationships between these people mm-hmm. because even though they're all kind of seemingly base <laughs> basic characters right now they're all actually really interesting mm-hmm. except with the exception of like maybe one or two but they all are very deeply explored and that's why i like this movie yeah. so where would you like to start so, well, I want to tell our listeners about why we chose the movie Beautiful Boy. Is We've seen it before, mm-hmm. first of all. Um, I remember the first time I saw it feeling outrageously sad about it. Um, and I'll get into that later. But we chose this movie specifically regarding the relationship between father and son. Like, typically, we've been doing romantic. I think that's kind of our comfort zone. But we also want to make sure we're diversifying our, you know, output of content regarding the various relationships we all experience in our lives in some capacity, whether it's the lack thereof or the overwhelming amount of it. (laughs) (laughs) And in this case, because it was also Father's Day weekend, we wanted to talk about a dad. And this was kind of our knee-jerk movie choice even knowing it was sad even knowing we'd seen it before it's probably been since 2018 since we've seen it mm-hmm. um but it was readily available on amazon prime to watch for free with membership. it's an amazon original believe it or not is it it is wow mm-hmm. that's really cool uh maybe that's why box office was low it might be i'm not quite sure that would make sense yeah i remember that was the reason it was free it said amazon original on it but maybe it was purchased after the fact i don't know sometimes they do that and then just throw their label on it but who knows who knows uh but yeah i kind of want to kick off with um so to kind of set the baseline for our listeners on nick the main character who is the son who is the addict in the movie Mm mm-hmm Um, The movie kind of cuts back and forth between past and present timelines of his journey in from being a very emotional kind of quiet child who kind of turns thoughtful into sad boy vibes into kind of emo writing and music and then it develops into, you know, an actual addiction and something kind of wanted to start off talking about is what your opinions are on like childhood isolation slash you know we all knew those kids in high school who chose or middle school or even i guess elementary school who would slowly start wearing more black clothing Mm -hmm. and then they start smudging that beautiful black eyeliner around their eyes yeah you know and actually like outwardly presenting as quote-unquote emo or scene or however you know that was dakota and i were kind of preppy jock ish kind of kids sort of yeah yeah kind of on the fringe um 
And so I don't necessarily relate to that type of childhood that was like outwardly um, like choosing to listen and witness and relate to to like dark and sad content. And clearly in the beginning of the movie, or at least in the beginning of Nick's life as it's presented to us in the movie, he is showing signs of being emo. I agree. I agree. And so you want to discuss what you think being an emo is? I just kind of want to have a little chat about it. Mm-hmm. Like, what are your thoughts? Do you think Do you think that's a cry for help? Like, well... I feel like this movie would make you believe that it is for sure. Mm -hmm. And I can only have my own experience to like reference. And so my opinion is based on that. But like, I know that for sure there were kids, like every kid seemed to have an emo phase where they were like kind of interested in like the darker sides of life or maybe they're maturing and learn about death or something like that. And when you're a kid, you, you do, all you do is emote. You don't know how to, how to mask your emotions or how to deal with them. And so you just wear them on your sleeve and you wear them on your clothes and stuff. And then all of a sudden you're wearing, you know, little thousand bracelets that have little (laughs) (laughs) nails going through hearts and stuff like that. So I feel like everyone has a phase like that, but I didn't have a phase like that. You you didn't have a phase like that. Maybe I, maybe it was just me. I don't know. You didn't have an emo phase. I feel like everyone I knew back in elementary school had like an emo phase, at least like a punk, like skater phase. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe punk a little bit. I I would call it like a rebellious phase, but the emo thing is, I would say a little bit more concerning. Mm -hmm. Um, Just strictly looking at it from like the perspective of David, who is Nick's father. Um, Is that like, it doesn't necessarily wear off uh, the emo phase. And when mm-hmm. it doesn't, like there were kids in my elementary school uh, when I went and like middle school and stuff like that where they would dress emo and then they just kind of didn't stop dressing emo. Mm-hmm. And then there were actual like cuts on wrists and then there mm-hmm. were actually like cry smear marks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you could tell that people were actually <laughs> dealing with stuff. Yeah. And maybe that's just the area that we come from. I don't know. But. As far as like a cry for help, I don't know initially if it is, but if it does persist and it's coupled with like a mood swing thing, I mean, we're not parents, but I definitely think it's worth investigating. I don't know. Well, yeah, I think, you know, something, the reason why we opt to talk more about romantic relationships and why that's comfortable to us is because we feel like we have romance down on a pretty good level. And we, since we've been together for almost 14 years, We've been married for seven. We mm-hmm. feel like our words carry some weight and experience behind them. But Dakota and I have purposefully chosen to wait to not have children because of the intimidation factor of all the you know pressures and responsibilities and beauty that comes with having kids that we're just not quite ready for. And so it's intimidating to talk about some of this stuff, but I think we can kind of bounce in between how you know, it felt as a child to like witness folks who were emo or sad or crying Mm -hmm. for help. And also maybe with an adult perspective now, talk about how potentially he could have seen that and he potentially could have helped. You know, I think this is actually, I'm glad we're talking about this at the forefront because I, the, the, the first time I watched this movie, I was kind of thinking like, who is this for? Who is mm-hmm. this movie made for? Because it's in the perspective of David, who's the father. Yeah. And so you would think, oh, well, that's a relatable character to the audience, which would mean that the audience is what? 
40 or 50 year old men with emotional kids that's not who's going to go see a movie that has timothy chalamet and steve carell in it yeah and so i feel like i'm almost going to be able to understand this movie a little better if i look at it from the perspective of nick played Mm -hmm. by timothy chalamet just to kind of understand how stuff went and how stuff could have gone better and not necessarily from the perspective of steve carell who i would argue is kind of the more unstable character he's definitely like he's emotionally there and he's emotionally intelligent somewhat or whatever Katy Perry song as we but like he's to say. unhinged a little bit and yeah. he kind of doesn't do a very good job to like batten down the hatches when it comes mm-hmm. to uh emotional situations yep. and he sets really high expectations for his son and he just does all the stereotypical like things that you're not supposed to do to a kid who's going <laughs> through a hard time especially yeah. after putting him through what seems like a pretty traumatic divorce Mm. I mean, Timothy Chalamet is shuttled via plane all the time. He has two very seemingly successful parents who live in very nice houses in California. Mm -hmm. You can only imagine how much they make and do and how unavailable they are. And he's just shuttled around like this commodity. No wonder he's in the position that he is. Yeah. So anyway, all to say that I think it's really going to help me consider... um, this movie in a different light from Timothy Chalamet's perspective. And in this case, I would say that the emoting of the emo dressing and like the being sad when he's being flown around absolutely was a cry for help. And I'm going to say that way more definitively. Exactly. Thank you for feeling open enough to say that. I feel like I got a breeze. (laughs) You can probably hear our windows open and my mind is awoken and I'm awake and I'm here guys. I'm sorry. I've been dumb for the past 20 minutes. (laughs) We're, We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Um, I feel the same way. That breeze is nice. Oh my God, it's heavenly. I, I wonder if you guys can even hear it. It's like, uh, it's crazy. That's it awesome. sounds like singing. That's, that's weird. <laughs> that was just the breeze. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yes, I agree. That's why I brought that up, that up. But I also wanted to hear your opinion first. I totally think dressing emo and dark and listening to dark music and consuming sad poetry and I knew kids, and Mm -hmm. in fact, I, in middle school, one of my closest friends had a huge crush on the main emo of our school, which I feel like everyone knows what that means when I say that. It's like there's a group of emos, and there's like the hottest, coolest one. She had a crush on him, Mm -hmm. and so after school they their group would kind of walk us home until we all split off to our respective households. Um, And so I feel like I kind of got to know those kids and they were struggling and they were having a hard time. And, you know, that's 12 year old children looking back. I'm like, we all seem so grown up at the time. But, you know, looking back, I obviously know now 12 is a tiny baby. Mm -hmm. And that's a desperate cry for help. And, you know, if they're like you said, like the cutting and kind of some of the culture that was behind that, at least back in what the heck was that, 2008 and 9 and 10 maybe, at least. I definitely think that was kind of the the time when it was like Tumblr was out there and folks had access to kind of this sad boy content that led to, you know, feeding into the sad, dark things of life. And if that's not processed like intellectually and a adult isn't supporting them through those feelings and being vulnerable with them. I definitely think it's a cry. I think for it help. is too. It, or, it's them craving some attention, mm-hmm. negative or positive, just mm-hmm. trying to be noticed really. Yeah, right. Um, exactly. And this, I'm, I know we sound like such boomers and that these are generalized <laughs> statements, but I definitely know as a kid, I would act out or dress a certain way to 
prompt questions mm-hmm. or have people investigate me, look into me a little bit more, see me for who I was and where I am. Right. In fact, I actually just emailed a teacher from a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, basically expressing what was happening behind my life because it felt important to me. And she mentioned that it meant a lot to her too. So I hope she got something out of it. It might've yeah. been just me crying for help again. But I know that all <laughs> the like kind of hardcore, I, I feel like emos is almost like a derogatory term, nah, but it's just like, uh, it's it was just, a term of the times. It emo. is, it yeah. is. But I feel like all the, all the folks that we used to go to like high school and middle school with who were considered kind of the more hardcore consistent emos, I still follow them on Instagram. And like, they're all, now that they're not in the presence of like colleagues all the time at school and like underneath the thumb of their parents and stuff like that, people who can actually recognize them and give them the the credit and validation that they're looking for, they don't dress that way anymore. Yeah, they've all kind of split off into seemingly normal lives. Like I know some dress all hillbilly-like and some, you know, went (laughs) off to be like beautiful mothers and like there's just like quite the range of people you know who developed from those quote-unquote emo days Mm -hmm. and so i'm curious you know kind of how that i wonder how that played out for them but yeah i definitely i know that i've had conversations with kids like that i know that they were struggling at home a lot of the time and i know it was like a cry for help but i mean admittedly it also it was like a it's a type of fashion too so there's lots of things intertwined with it of course i believe i'll say this for the rest of time everything is a spectrum so obviously there are some kids who just love to wear black and like you said are maybe more punk and are into kind of loud music and dark colors but not i still like like crying for help yeah (laughs) i love listening to the clash i love wearing tight black pants i love having (laughs) black tattoos yeah but no, I don't need exterior validation from anybody. In fact, I hardly talk to my parents nowadays anymore. So that's just my own story. We probably, I won't lie, folks, we might get into our stories a little bit yeah. here too because some of these uh, points that this movie is trying to make based on parenthood and the parent-child relationship does hit home, Yeah, especially for us. We both come from divorced families. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from multiple divorced families and remarries and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Jet has her own baggage to unpack eventually whenever she's ready but yeah uh that's kind of the trigger warning for the for the show is that it's it's heavy stuff when it comes to drug abuse and then obviously the interaction between parents and uh kids so yeah okay i think that covers that and i if any parents are listening i would say definitely check on your kids and don't be afraid to be vulnerable from the get-go like when you see a shift that they're interested in darker topics like don't just try to distract or deflect or shame them into trying happier activities or music it's like you need to have conversations and get to the root of why the child is you know potentially crying for help of course again there's spectrums of support within that and and specifically like obviously reflecting back to the movie we watched in this case uh david played by steve grell had every opportunity like he seemed like he was home enough and around his son enough Mm -hmm. he's like a remote worker yes he could have had those conversations but he was the one avoiding them Mm -hmm. i'm aware of the fact that in day-to-day life maybe some kids who dress emo don't have parents who are even slightly interested and have their own problems going on where they can't help and the child acting out may need other support from other places but specifically regarding this father-son relationship and any active fathers that are out there or mothers 
who see their kid dressing, acting, observing this stuff. This is your warning that I can remember in those times, those kids were struggling with very vulnerable, scary, maybe thoughts and experiences that need at least an in-depth, vulnerable conversation about to the best of your abilities. And that's the point I would like to make. So in regards to this movie, how do you think that Nick's parents could have been more supportive for what he was going through? Well, I noticed a lot of the time that David um, would say things like, well, like, you were just playing water polo. You were just on the water polo team. Or um, you were so bright or, you know, or just like dismissive. Well, he was telling him what he was. Right. Yeah. And whenever things got serious or when Nick was shutting down or like, you know, just isolating himself in general. I feel like my interpretation is that David in the movie was attempting to just give his child space. And, you know, I was perceiving him like throughout most of the movie, I was honestly on his side, like, Oh, he's just giving his son privacy and minding his own business a little bit. Mm. But also like his kid was clearly very sensitive and needed a vulnerable father figure to be able to, or in the case where the stepmom was living there too, to, you know, meet him where he is. Yeah, that's exactly li- what I was going to say. Right. And he never once asked him how he was feeling or how mm-hmm. he was doing. He mm-hmm. was always telling him how to feel, how to be, what where he should go. do, what he yeah. should do, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It was, it was. Because I was right there with you. Like, at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, oh, you know, this is, like, you know, number one dad. Like, this guy's doing mm-hmm. the best he can. But it's like, he, no. He had a nice house. So, immediately, you're like, oh, he's well off. So, mm-hmm. the kids are taking care of everybody's fine. Yeah. No. He's uh, he's soft to Nick. Um, mm-hmm. but he's kind of short with his other kids, which is annoying to mm-hmm. see. Um, but he's very soft and supportive as far as, like, trying to get Nick to open up. Um, but he doesn't really... He goes about it so clumsily. He doesn't directly ask him like what's going on what's Mm -hmm. up how can i help it's always like you seem off you seem weird why aren't you doing this you shouldn't be reading all those sad authors or whatever yeah yeah yeah. you're just a teen going through a phase right now it's like oh thanks dad you know and then nick has to apologize for the dad being an absolute klutz when it comes to like just talking to somebody emotionally Mm -hmm. yeah so i think like the best thing that they could do as far as like helping nick's character early on before this uh, drug addiction problem occurs is to just be more open and honest with communication mm-hmm. as far as like seeing the kid going through these complex feelings for the first time and helping them navigate it as opposed to just like pushing past them and push yeah. towards like how about having your son read one of his sad books to you yeah and you guys talk about it and relate about it and but also teach them where to look for the bright places through the hardship, you know, and like just teach them the balance and that they have support and that if they're, I mean, especially with the internet these days, I, again, we're not parents. It's so intimidating to even think about becoming a parent, but with freaking the interwebs being available to everybody, Mm -hmm. you can go down a rabbit hole so fast and children like we barely had like MySpace and barely Facebook <laughs> when we were teenagers. <laughs> and, you know, I remember the dawn of dial up internet and you yeah, know, computer yeah. games. But 
we never had full access to the internet basically until our, you know, late high school and then definitely our college years and now. But mm-hmm. our frontal lobes were like pretty much, you know, at their, you know, done growing point. But if you're that small of a kid and you have access to internet, kids could get sucked down a dark path very absolutely quickly. and that's why like things like montessori schools are coming up too is because parents are aware of this who aren't necessarily sleeping at the screens. wheel yeah yeah no i i totally agree and so i feel like this kind of dovetails nicely into another scene that i wanted to talk about which was when david and nick after their graduation after nick's graduation decide to share a joint mm-hmm. which is weird it's like i feel like it's steve carell's character david like being like, oh, I'm supporting my son thing. in like Ugh. a cool way. Yeah, it's it's I don't weird. Like it? No, that I did not like work well for me either. I thought it was super icky. Like, obviously, he was kind of getting pressured into it because uh, you, oh, Nick wanted to do yes. it. What? Well, there's no such thing as getting pressured by your kids, in my opinion. I know, like absolutely not. Especially Timothy Chalamet, who looks like he weighs 80 pounds. I know. You just flick it out of his tiny <laughs> little cigarette fingers, yeah. and then it's done. Like, no, we're not doing drugs, <laughs> yeah. dirty little boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that scene actually really disappointed me. I feel like it was so. Basically, to paint the picture for you all, is like. Uh, sometime after he graduates high school, uh, Nick and David are in the car and Nick, for some reason, feels comfortable getting a joint out of his pocket and like egging his dad on like we should like celebrate like let's go smoke pot. And then his dad's like, no, we're, we're not going to do that. And then he's like, come on, dad, I know you've smoked pot. Like, let's just go celebrate or whatever. And he contests it for a little while, but also like. I think that's while he's actively driving to a secluded spot for them to share a joint. Yeah. And I mean, I just in no way. So, okay. Admittedly, I did some Googling. (laughs) I have a strained uh, father daughter relationship. Uh, (laughs) So I had to Google what a father's responsibilities are. (laughs) So that I could know. Uh Um, And the, the fact of the matter is fathers are supposed to model moral behavior to the child like that can come in any fat capacity of course but in this case like him sharing that moment with nick with a joint i feel like equated to a level of that broke the barrier of respect and I don't feel like parents are like automatically should be given respect and, you know, whatever, unless it's earned. Mm -hmm. But they obviously have a relationship enough where Nick does look up to his dad. And I feel like it shifts their relationship from kind of a parent authority and child experience, which at the time, I guess Nick is 18, I believe. Mm -hmm. But it just feels wrong. Like... Well, yeah. You know what I I'm getting it, at I, with that? No, I, I know what you're getting at, so I might help a little bit. Is that I feel like it breaks the trust of the bond and the relationship that they share that that they share. This father son relationship where the David's supposed to be the model of what Nick is supposed to be. And mm-hmm. by saying and doing and showing that it's okay to do drugs is not great especially when he's about to go to college which is like right and guess you, what when everybody goes and yes, does drugs yes and 
Like, maybe you should speak to that. Not the drugs piece, but what it feels like to be an 18-year-old man, small boy man. Without a father figure to look up to? Well, not, I mean, share what you will. But I feel like going to college and having that, you know, freedom to do whatever you want and you just now witnessed your parent do an well, illegal activity with you like what does here's that the set thing. the tone for i feel like you are even though we're having a hard time putting words to it i'm gonna say it from my perspective if this was me is that if i had this hard-ass dad growing up which i did to a certain extent um and then on the last day i was there He's like, oh, by the way, like, let's just like smoke a joint and like blah, blah, blah. And I'm a total pushover and you can force me in anything. I would really, it would question everything. It would make me question everything about what it is to be a man. Is it like, is it all fake? Am I just like, is he putting on a show just for me? Am I truly allowed to do anything and it'll all work out and Mm -hmm. I'll get this beautiful house in California? Can I actually screw off and smoke weed and do all these things? It's confusing, especially for somebody who hasn't been out on their own. Yeah. Um, for a long time. I, I know that, and for a certain, I, I would say I'm actually kind of thankful for my upbringing. Mm-hmm. I would say my childhood was not necessarily bad, nor was it necessarily good. It mm-hmm. was just incredibly neutral. Everything was very neutral, and it allowed me to be, develop my own independence. And when I went off to college, I got a call like a month later to watch my brother, even though I was six hours away Mm -hmm. because they didn't even know i was gone Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so i can attest to that because i was in the car when you got that call i know i know and so it just it really put into my into perspective i'm like oh wait like he's he's never really paying attention nobody's ever known nobody's ever paid attention it's always just been me on my own doing my own thing Mm -hmm. and so i truly can do whatever i want Mm -hmm. and i luckily took that in stride and tried to do better with my life i i'm not necessarily against uh pot i'm definitely not against pot i'm not even necessarily against hardcore drugs as long as they're done responsibly but as somebody who is using it as a coping mechanism and has a father figure that says you can celebrate with drugs and do all these things. Right. I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. It's not that I don't agree with it. It's just not what I would do. Here's what I feel like. Especially with that particular kid who's already been through so much. So this scene, I think we can break down a little bit more to talk about why I think it's so pivotal in Nick's development and understanding of what it means to be, a responsible man and in this case at one point nick quotes um i deserve to take the edge off yeah when when he's kind of you know he's sharing that joint with his dad and that's one of the things that he says to mm-hmm. his dad and what did steve Carell say right after he said that did he say why why'd you say that right exactly no he didn't no, he say didn't. that he said you should stop saying shit like that or yeah. else you'll believe it. Yes. Like a douchebag. Right. Instead, I mean, it's hard because I, I mean, douchebag scares me a little bit. Because I know, in the I case, know. you can just tell that Steve Carell's or David, uh, his main blockage is that he's not 
able to be vulnerable with his son. I know. And he, he walks face first into so many pivotal instances where he could model where his to son his can son. open up to yes. him and he can model how to deal with these complex emotions that he's feeling. And he just drops the ball yes. every time. They both like deflect and then get quiet and then move on. And do you think it's ego? I do. I mean, because if, if you were a parent and you hadn't figured out those things for yourself, Ooh. And that child presented that thing, you would just avoid it. Yeah. Because there would be, you wouldn't have a resolution and you know that if you said it, you'd be talking out of your ass. Completely. <laughs> you'd sound like a total hypocrite. Right. Which is why I feel so much pressure about having kids is because like, I feel like I need to be a fully formed functioning adult with all of my own opinions about most things. I know. I, know. I think about that. Like if we are just waiting to become perfect beings to have kids, we're I mean, never going to have kids. It feels like that. And if we don't, maybe we don't. I know. I know. Freaky. Um, but yeah, I feel like that, that scene of sharing the joint really sets the tone for a parent figure modeling a behavior yeah and it's all subtle too like this is why we're having a hard time kind of grappling with this is because like listen smoking a joint ain't bad hanging out with your son ain't bad having this conversation isn't necessarily bad but the buildup and the circumstances and the obviousness of the severity of what nick is feeling in this moment and his father just drops the ball and encourages his son in this way that's what we have a problem with we don't have a problem with the pot. We don't have a problem with basically anything else in this particular scene, except that the fact that they completely miss each other. It's like two ships sailing right past each other, not able to communicate. Right. And I feel like I'm having a little bit of a moment right now, but I feel like the reason why this isn't okay is because it's apparent modeling that that you deserve to take the edge off is allowing your child to accept that they can use outside like sources mm-hmm. for emotional well-being yeah. and um, like coping and if you model the behavior that it's acceptable to cope with substance mm-hmm. That's setting the bedrock. Exactly. The The conversation they should have had was, why does life have an edge right now? Mm-hmm. Why is it cutting you so deep? Mm-hmm. And then we probably would have heard a lot more about his the way he's been dealing with his parents' divorce, the way mm-hmm. he's dealing with the pressure of his family and how he's about to go off to college. And I think something that we haven't talked about enough is that, so I did read this when I butchered our little summary of the movie, was... Um, David Chef and Nick Chef are based on real characters mm-hmm. in actual life. Yeah. And they both re- wrote separate books. One book is called Beautiful Boy and the other book is called Tweak, which Dakota, you had said you read years ago. I have, yeah. But they, in this movie, it's clear that Nick attaches so much to his relationship with his dad because they're both writers. Exactly. And he obviously is silently looking up to his father regarding writing. And Mm -hmm. if that's his career choice, which evidently it was, it's clear to me that he is looking more up to his father than maybe his father even realizes. And that's why that scene makes me so angry. (laughs) And that's why this generation is not going to do the whole authoritative parent thing. Yeah. 
because it's just not a good recipe for success, guys. Right. It's right. too much pressure to put on a kid. Right. Yeah, and I suppose it could go in two ways. I, I feel like it's time for me to kind of share my story a little bit. Good. Um, so at this, so since this is our Father's Day special, mm-hmm. sort of, mm-hmm. um, my relationship with my father is no contact as of, it's been about two years. And unfortunately, my father is an opiate addict based on injuries from being in the military for so long, broke his back and neck. He's not like paraplegic or anything like that, but he's he had chronic pain. Chronic pain his entire yeah. life that has, in his eyes and my understanding throughout my entire childhood, is that his life wasn't livable without pill popping. And I will say, from the outside looking in, I believe he was getting those from, you know, his providers and things, but he was overusing his prescriptions and then running out by the end of his prescription and therefore he would literally go from being high to having withdrawals and having that cycle my entire life and then of course (laughs) when someone is on that strong of opiates for that long which it was at least two decades that i'm aware of it fries your organs and your brain and Mm -hmm. your emotional capacities. And we'll get into that as it relates to this movie later on. Obviously it's different than meth, but they are heavy drugs. Like there's no question there. And I want to get very vulnerable and share a story that I have regarding taking drugs because of a parent. Okay. So when I was, uh, 11, no, 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 no. Hang on. Let me think. Mm, yep. Unfortunately, when I was 11, okay. um, I had a soccer tournament going on. And obviously, at that point, I still was in contact with my father because I'm 27 and a half now mm-hmm. um, and have only been no contact for two years. Back then, we were a very soccer heavy family. And at the time, I was having some ankle pain, which... Frankly, it's surprising to me because I haven't really had ankle problems since, and maybe I just heard it that weekend. I don't remember. Um, but for some reason, my dad felt it was appropriate to allow me to drink a monster energy drink before every game, but which as an 11-year-old, having an energy drink isn't the biggest crime of all time, but also like probably not the best standard. And then eventually it developed into, I think... I, I know for sure there was one occasion where he literally had me snort his Oxycontin. Like before a game? Before a soccer game. Wow. Yeah, as an 11-year-old child. What, what, what was the circumstances surrounding that? Um, he was dropping me off to play a game. I had, um, we had wrapped my ankle in hopes that it would, you know, be okay. Um and I was, I think I remember complaining to him like, oh, the tape is a little tight. It feels uncomfortable. Like, I'm afraid my ankle's still going to hurt. Um, I don't know. And then I remember him being like, well, I guess you could take one of my pain pills. Like, maybe just like a quarter of one or, a, a, you know, we could see. And then he's like, you know what? Your game starts really soon. I, it, you should, it will take like an hour or half hour to kick in if you try to take it right now. And I think we were kind of running late. Mm-hmm. like warm-ups or something and so he had already had some crushed up mm-hmm. in his car because like i said guys 
he was an addict and was a, like I don't know obviously he did it in private and I was a child so I don't really looking back I know sort of what was going on but I still never witnessed that much um, but he had some like pre-crushed white his pills yeah and had me snort it hmm. before a game so I did it wasn't like a line he like put it on his fingernail for me and I snorted and so this is probably a pretty personal movie for you then. Yeah, like, you know, I have come a long way in my own life and obviously I have a very healthy, happy relationship now and it can kind of explain why Dakota and I have been together for so long and, you know, although socioeconomically, I feel like my family was in a relatively good, like, upper middle class-ish financial situation, also... I had problems going on that definitely impacted me. And this movie, the first time I saw it, I think I was like sobbing. Yeah. Sobbing. This time, not so much. And I think it's because I'm a little bit more of a movie critic. And so some of the relationships I don't think were nailed Mm -hmm. as far as like how the actual scenes played out where Mm -hmm. my emotional connection was a little bit, you know, distracted by that. But yeah, when I was coming to terms the first time I watched this movie with this idea that someone could be, so in this case, the son is the addict. In my case, the father is the addict. This coming to terms with the fact that a person could have their brain chemistry altered so much by a prescription or a drug or a substance um, that they could never come back was such a dark, scary feeling because the first time I watched this movie, I... still had a relationship with my dad and I thought I held out hope my entire life that he would quote unquote come back or find a way to you know not just avoid life through substance and be able to get in touch with his own life his own childhood and his relationship with me and my sister and he just never ever was able to and through his older age he had more like health troubles and things and i i do believe that heavy drug usage was you know affecting his you know in touch with reality yeah yeah um which ultimately led to the like cutting off all communication because it's just a whirlwind to try to stay in contact with someone who doesn't really have grips on reality anymore yep so yeah that was my share moment well, as far and the I don't know if I've explained this already, but in that moment, thank God I like I I'm not gonna lie, I felt cool. Like the way he presented, like when the reason why I brought up the Monster Energy drinks was because the I think my dad always wanted a son. He never admitted it. Like he loved having two daughters, but also like i at that time i was like the captain of my soccer team i was wearing a sweatband around my you know forehead and like bicep wraps like the nba players have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know i was chugging a monster drink and snorting drugs yeah <laughs> my dad and i'm not, way cooler than me at that time well exactly like mm-hmm. but that that in my mind for the longest time taught me that even caffeine or like, <laughs> you know, re- like using a substance to get an edge on something 
is appropriate. And that taught me that was an appropriate way to manage my feelings and my bodily functions and my health. When in reality, if my ankle was hurt that bad and I'm 11, let me rest. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. take me home. It's just an effing soccer game. (laughs) You know, like... What a rational thing to say. Well, exactly. So... Obviously, in this movie, I, 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 Steve Carell, I don't think is doing that bad. His at the point that point, Nick is eighteen. Yeah, it's weed. Like I s- still don't condone that behavior. But long story short, what I'm trying to say is, parents need to realize that it's not. It's like the premise of the thing. It's not the thing. Like obviously, I survived. I'm not addicted to drugs. Thank goodness. But that's why I fear substance now and I have more of an awareness of it is because I slowly saw that play out in front of me and was able to find coping mechanisms outside of substance that led me to a healthier life. But frankly, that could just be luck. Or it could be the fact that my mom had a kind of a swanky job and financially I could stay out of the ditch. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I do know what you mean. And I think... Even though that was a lot, I feel like it does relate to this movie quite a bit. And I think ultimately what we find out about Nick's character is that when he's talking about taking the edge off, he's talking about taking the edge off the pressure that his dad is putting on him. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that, again, somewhat related to this movie, if Nick had distanced himself from his father and vice versa, I think they both would have been more well off. That is so true. And I think the perfect example of that is you who has cut off ties with their father who mm-hmm. i mean he was a weakness for you he was something that we as a couple couldn't even talk about without one of us getting into hysterics and so me <laughs> i didn't want to point fingers but yeah yeah um eventually when you did cut him off i i've only seen you get better yeah since then and so it was a weakness and something that you had a very sharp edge digging into you at all times. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you were able to cut that off from you and remove that sharpness, life was smooth again. Right. It's like I could listen to my own intuition and hardships and be able to process those. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm glad that you've kept to it and that you haven't considered going back because that turbulence is not something we need in our life. And honestly, I think, again, if we were to take our real lives and put it in this movie, you would have gone back to the person who you were because as Nick does multiple times in the movie, he relapses. Mm -hmm. He ends up getting clean, going to rehab, uh, staying there for sometimes for a span of a year. And then whenever he's around his father, he relapses again. Yeah, let's talk about that. So the longest time Nick ever is clean is 14 months. Yes. And it just so happens <laughs> that this is when he's living with his mom. Oh, weird. Weird how weird. that Weird. Somebody who lets him live his own life. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. This actually kind of makes me want to read the beautiful boy book. You should. And then tweak because maybe I'll listen to the audiobook or something because I want to see what he has to say for himself because honestly, even the title beautiful boy is kind of making me mad now that I think of it. Well, especially there's a scene where uh timothy chalamet's character goes in nick goes into the house and then reads like a chapter of what i'm assuming it turns out to be that book Mm -hmm. um 
where he's talking about like, oh, my beautiful boy loves pizza and blah, blah, blah. Have you seen my beautiful boy? Where is he gone? Completely putting all the pressure on Nick. Mm -hmm. Nick is the one that's changed. He's the one that isn't this beautiful boy that Steve Carell is idolizing the whole time. It's like, dude, fuck you, man. He's basically been trying to prove through drugs that he isn't a beautiful boy. I know. And this guy, I mean, Nick is apologizing to his father all the time. You know who's never apologizing? His father. Yep ever yep it's ridiculous mm-hmm. he only apologizes he says like i i think in one scene they're having like a cry fest on the phone and david has finally gotten some sense into not being an enabler for nick and he's like i'm sorry i can't help you anymore it's like bitch you haven't helped this entire <laughs> movie what are you talking about yeah so let's talk about the relapses that happen for nick a little bit more in detail so the first one that I can recall. So he, Nick talks his way out of his first stint in rehab, or maybe it was a second stint in rehab, um, by telling his dad, I want to go to college. And I think the independence would be great for me. Send me to college and I'll be clean. So basically he wagers with his dad. If you do this, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. You pay for me to go to college and send me there and I won't do drugs. Ding. Well, he gets out of rehab to go to college. He goes to college and he meets his girlfriend, Lauren. Mm-hmm. And everything seems to be going well. He looks like a happy-go-lucky little 18-year-old guy with a girlfriend and is seems to be studying and doing all right, but still emo vibes, you know, yeah. isolated. Um, and then he has a trigger where he goes to his girlfriend's house for like a Thanksgiving dinner because I think they had made it that far in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So kind of serious. And in the medicine cabinet or just like sitting on, on the cu- counter were some sort of pain medication or something in a in a vial and he took a bunch of them like he popped like five it looked like yeah yeah um just like kind of without without hesitation and that set him into a relapse that then basically ended his time at college yeah and then he goes full crazy there for right. a bit he has a binge for yeah. a while and then i think the most notable one is he's 14 months clean Mm -hmm. living with his mother he's volunteering at the actual rehab clinic he has a job there he's you know seems fulfilled and busy still obviously aware that he's an addict because he's working at the rehab place like is this when he's clean for 14 months yeah i mean he's working at a rehab and he's doing great right yeah um and in this case remind me um what was his relapse so He's clean 14 months with his mom. He's working at the rehab, all this stuff. He's doing great. He looks great. Everything's going good for him. Mm -hmm. This is at the point of the movie where we think he's going to be okay. Exactly. And so he ends up going to visit his father, more probably more to visit his step-siblings, which are uh, two little kids that uh, David and Karen, David's current wife, have together in their beautiful house in California. So Nick goes out there to visit them. And it's... It's kind of a, it's not the best weekend. I mean, it looks really nice and idyllic and Nick Mm -hmm. does a good job of like playing with the kids and hanging out with them. But it's obvious that the father is still very untrusting Mm -hmm. and just being his same old self. And so I think the instance, Mm. there's multiple instances of kind of tension where Nick wants to take one of the kids out surfing. The stepmom is like, absolutely not. And it's kind of awkward. And Nick doesn't feel like the parents trust him that much. And so that's a little bit of a trigger for him. But he moves past it pretty quick. But what happens later on is that Nick goes out to like uh, 
assumingly going to see some of his like friends or something like that back in California and then comes home to his father late and the father is sitting on the uh, couch and is more or less friendly but is like where have you been like blah 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 you didn't answer my phone he's like oh I was just out late my phone died no he's he said uh I was out with my sponsor and we my like sober watched friends and a all that video. Stuff. Yeah, so he like in detail kind of explained he was yeah having he was making eye contact night. like it wasn't a lie it looked totally fine but the father still insisted um, that he give a drug test and again like Steve Carell's character is so frustrating because he's so soft spoken and so nice but at the same time he's being so overbearing and what was the quote that he said where um, Timothy Chalamet is like, well, that's the most controversial thing or something that anyone uh, said. Do you remember that? Um, he said, well, he, he said, I trust you, but I need you to take a drug test. Yeah. And Timothy Chalamet is like, well, that's, that's the most ironic thing yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. And then he does it anyway. He's a good sport about it, but obviously he still gets pissed and then ends up going out that night getting drunk and then, Yep, I think he goes straight for heroin just right off the bat. Yeah. Meets no, up randomly. I, it's meth. It's meth. It is meth. Yeah. yeah. So he ends up running into his old ex Lauren, who's apparently been partying too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go rent a really bougie hotel because they're Californians, and Californians <laughs> can afford nice things, and apparently a shitload of meth. And uh, they do a bunch of meth, and uh, I think Lauren almost dies on day two. <laughs> yeah like it's Ugh, they go on a rough. major bender it's super hard to watch yeah but again all of it's just kicked off because he's mad at his father and this his like, father is just i guess i want to too much add the caveat that it's not all the dad's fault like, it's not obviously it's absolutely at the core not of it, you are responsible for your own actions mm-hmm. and behaviors but the bedrock of nick's personality and he's a young adult at this point it's kind of hard to tell after the age of 18 like how old he really is or how much time is actually passing like i think by the end of the movie maybe he's 24 tops or something like it's kind of hard to tell but like you are an adult and you can you know make your decisions but also like we we all know how much our childhoods and our parents play a part in who we are and you know, when those like neuro pathways in your brain that are, like are just so hardwired in there that the moment a trigger exists and you're around them and if it happens to be a parent, mm-hmm. like that could happen so easily. And honestly, since Nick is dealing with drugs and they highlight this multiple times in the movie when... um the dad, David, goes and meets with a doctor to kind of talk about the chemistry behind being addicted to meth. The doctor informs David, meth basically fires the dopamine receptors so hard in the brain that nothing will ever feel as good again because it basically fries the dopamine neurons. Yeah, you lose your ability to feel happiness right, through right. dopamine again. Which is why people struggle so much to get off of it because those pathways take like two years Mm -hmm. so you basically after going clean as it's implied in this movie which i don't think is real medical advice but maybe it is is like it takes two years to maybe get your for those nerve endings to reconnect and he made it very clear too in nick's case it was possible right but people who regularly use meth and stuff like it's just not even they're gone right they're gone right 
and they're basically damned to have a yeah. sad anti-dopamine life. I feel like, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about the father-son relationship, and I think we've definitely done a good job of identifying the triggers and stuff like that, but... I feel like maybe we should talk a little bit to just about addictions and the relationship between addictive substances and humans who are trying to cope before we ultimately finish out the story. What do you think? Sure. Kick us off. Well, I know that. Do you feel like you struggle with any addictions? Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would also say that I struggle with some condition or uh, addictions, condition. Yeah. some conditions. Um, <laughs> and I just feel like. It, th that is another angle to look at this entire movie, which is that maybe it's just the story about this kid's re relationship with his addiction and how he's treating this disease, if you can even call it a disease. But I know that addiction can make people incredibly desperate and mm -hmm. it can make people do really desperate things. It, it's made me do really desperate, dumb, crazy things. Uh, addictions always ran in my family. I don't, it seems like addiction might run in your family oh, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. I think it is ultimately a human characteristic, but it's difficult because it gets in the way of like rational thinking, as we've talked about with your dad, as we've talked about with Nick. And I do feel like that's what leads ultimately to the, to the last part of the story, which is when Nick ends up robbing uh, his father, mm -hmm. which is tough to watch honestly yeah so basically after he goes on that binge with his girlfriend when he does his big relapse after his big time being clean mm -hmm. um they decide they need money and since nick is aware of the house layout and where the valuables are and where the key is yeah uh they decide to go rob do like a house burglary basically yeah. to loot the place for anything that they could exchange for the drugs and it's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, man. I mean, the stepmother like chases him out of the house and ultimately like it's it's very obvious a line has been drawn and this yeah. is like the point of no return for Nick. Um as far as like David even cutting him off and things. And it's it's really sad to see. This is when the reason I wanted to talk about addiction is that like this is the point where Nick is truly transformed and he is no longer the beautiful boy. Right. That his father perceives him to be. He is now an enemy. A, a robbing, not to be trusted, cannot be in the house person. And yeah. this is something that, like, you can't help anymore. You know, it, it's more, more or less done. And even though the movie ends with a, a happy ending, like you get a post-credit scene where they announce that Nick's been clean for like eight years, the the real character. Mm -hmm. and that their relationship is a little better now it's still it's just really hard to see people lose themselves like that because nick up until then does not seem like the type of person that's capable of doing that and i feel like there's an argument to be made that your father didn't necessarily seem like the type to do the things that he's done mm -hmm. in your life and addiction just changes people yeah. and it really sucks yeah, I mean, <clears throat> my my addictions are pretty PG, and a lot of people think that, and I'll use my PG one as an example. For me, a lot of the time, it was sugar, mm. and it was like going to Starbucks for a break at work, and I would look for any excuse to leave my, not the job I have now, my in-person job in my past life a year ago. Mm-hmm. 
where I would look for any excuse or time slot where I could just get in my car, drive to the Starbucks, order a mocha freaking latte smushy foamy deliciousness <laughs> with a side of pastry and chow that down and be, you know, $12 poorer and, you know, uh, riding a high of the energy boost and peace of mind of just being out of a spot that I felt was so not me and, you know, fighting every everything I had in my heart about who I was just didn't belong there. And the thing is, I think something we can learn as a takeaway as any humans, I think we all have our forms of addictions. And since then, I've been able to, you know, find healthier ways like fruit (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, nutrient dense things that aren't, you know, just spiking my blood sugar and avoiding. I've actually since then been able to change jobs, change states I live in. And I'm aware of all the privilege interlaced within that. But I was able to get into a place where I no longer feel like an addict and I'm no longer using those things to numb and suppress parts of me that I was trying to stifle. Yeah. And I think we all have versions of that. And I think this movie is a good reminder of the codependency that exists within even father-son relationships and how those, especially when they're intertwined with your freaking, your brain is forming when you meet your parents and Mm -hmm. live with them. Mm -hmm. And so it is so complex to attempt to detach from that, to find yourself and to to know where to go from there and, and what's healthy and how to deprogram all those things. And I feel very fortunate that I think through finding you and finding other ways to block out some of those codependencies I had built within my parental relationships, I was able to overcome and find my path. They take time. They take pounds being gained (laughs) and laying about to happen and feeling tired all the time and you know, things to happen before, you know, it really sets in and you're like, Oh God, yeah, I let this go for way too long. Or even like <clears throat> I've learned over the years too, about alcohol mm-hmm. being such a casual addiction. Like the fact socially that, accepted yes, as well. Yeah. It's socially acceptable. The fact of the matter guys is if you are using alcohol to suppress an emotion, that is an addiction. I feel I would argue even to evoke an emotion. Yes, no, you know if, if you, if you are, are, can only be happy by drinking, that's an issue. Dude. It is. It's a prop. That is a drinking problem. And that and was the whole reason I even wanted to get into this realm is that you compromise relationships when you are not yourself. Yep. I mean, look at a Snickers commercial. <laughs> when you're hangry, you're not. <laughs> you're well, not you. You're not you when you're hungry. Exactly. Yeah. You're not you when you're hungry, and you're not you when you're acting on impulse when you're numbing yourself because you know you're being irrational when you're using your break to go out and get a starbucks a little hot girl drink with Mm -hmm. a little hot girl snack and you're not being you when you're disassociating by playing video games that's my addiction is i'm absolutely addicted to video games and i am trying to stop but it's very hard (laughs) um and those affects your relationships and it gets to the point, sadly, for Nick, where he completely loses himself. It mm-hmm. gets to the point for some people where they lose themselves to their addictions and those connections, those relationships are no longer there. And 
it's important to remember to not always take the easy way out. There is a time and place for that. We talked about last time when we were talking about the Her movie. Mm -hmm. People need space to make mistakes. People need eras where they kind of learn things through people, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. and grow better than that. It's okay to have an addiction, but it's also really important and good to identify what those are, figure out if it's worth it to you, and then move on if it's not. Because if it's not serving you, it's not worth keeping. And unfortunately, a lot of specifically substance addictions they're not worth it yeah we all have them i have coffee but it's important to at least be aware of them the side like when you yeah a lot of the time by the time you realize that you have a problem it's when the side effects are going to take you so much longer to undo Mm -hmm. like especially with things like alcohol and meth obviously meth i hate being sick i couldn't imagine what like meth withdrawal would be my god i would kill myself no that's horrible i can't even ride roller coasters folks (laughs) i get so sick yeah i couldn't imagine coming down off hangovers were bad enough like and yeah i would say there's been points in my young adult life and i think like we talked about it's socially acceptable to drink like socially where I was drinking socially to not feel or remember the crap I had been through that day or just like the disassociation I was craving from my own reality. Yeah. I I got into the point where I was drinking every day as like a way to transition from work into me. Yeah. I was completely using it as a crutch. Yeah. And it it was horrible. I don't drink anymore, thank God. But like... Which I... Well... I feel like I should say for your case, he means like a beer for for to transition. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I wasn't he like wasn't getting like, drunk every right. day. Like Dakota wasn't a full blown like no alcoholic. But we're still very boring, right? Right. <laughs> and I had like, we have some like addictions that we're not yeah. sharing, but mainly we have. Some we'll we'll PG. save those for another day. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um, it's difficult and it's it's complex and. It's just about being a better human and being aware of those things and being more self-aware and emotionally intelligent. And that's why we do this podcast is so we can talk about these things. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with this movie? I feel like we've been quite preachy already. Mm. No, I don't think so. I think, I think let's let this one lie. And I ultimately, just to get back to the ratings piece, I would probably rate this movie a 6.5. It really struck a nerve with like the first time I watched it, I literally think I would have given this an 8.5 because Mm -hmm. this movie gave me a resource, whether it's medically accurate or not, I don't know. But at the time I first watched it, like I mentioned, I was in the midst of a codependent relationship with my father who was an addict, not of meth, but same diff. I, oh, lovely. (laughs) They're coming for us. He sets sets the tone. Um, but I think there were, there were some scenes that weren't fleshed out quite enough and there were some unanswered questions that I have. I would imagine folks who read the two books that this was based off of would have more context to know to like the movie or not and why. Um, but for me, it, there was a little bit of a disconnect between the two main characters in a way that I couldn't quite understand. And part of it felt like maybe the movie wasn't produced quite as well or like written quite as clearly or Mm -hmm. edited as clearly as I'd need to, to get that like 
heart-wrenching, disastrous sadness that it's kind of supposed to set you up for. So that's why I would rate it a 6.5. But ultimately, I think if you are someone who has a relationship, whether they're a child or a parent, um, who is who knows someone who's struggling with addiction? The first time I watched this movie, I did learn that substance can irreparably, ir- irreparably, irreparably. Irre- yeah, <laughs> I, I just said it faster. I don't know if it's irreparably? right. Irreparably, <laughs> yeah, change someone's brain in a way that you may not be able to connect with them ever again the way that you hope. Which, you know, I. At the, like I said, at the time, made me rate this a lot higher. Since then, I've grown a lot and learned a lot. So it didn't quite hit quite the same. But I think someone who maybe is looking for a initial resource or way to kick yourself in the pants to acknowledge that these things exist and these types of relationships are horrible for everyone involved, this might be a good movie to check out. Mm-hmm. But... Maybe listening to our podcast is all you need. Yeah. I am going to contest that a little bit. I think I'm going to give this an 8.5. Whoa. Yeah. Higher than the average on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. And here's why. Yeah. Is that I feel like this is a, a very important movie. And I feel like people are probably frustrated with it because it doesn't wrap it up in a nice tight little bow. There's not necessarily a direct ending. It's a little ambiguous. Even most of the scenes are ambiguous. Mm-hmm. The whole story isn't there because it's a story about life and you have to live life to understand it. Yeah. And the more I watch these movies and the more I do this podcast, the more I appreciate ambiguity in storytelling. Yeah. Even That's though true. these characters are flawed and David is frustrating and Nick is frustrating, I like talking about this movie and I like seeing it from different perspectives and grappling with the reality of knowing that these are two very real people telling a very real story and being vulnerable about what they did right and did wrong. I could understand why people would watch it and then give it a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes because they'd be like, well, this person didn't have the good ending and didn't arc and blah, blah, blah. And Steve Carell's character was dumb and never learned his lesson and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, that's reality. And like, we didn't even get to the socioeconomic aspect (laughs) of this, which like we casually reference that like David's character is really rich and stuff. But like Timothy Chalamet is not getting high in back alleys he is getting high in like hotels and like nice areas like (laughs) there's an argument to be made about whether or not the consequences are even as dire as somebody who's going through the same situation without the resources that he has and he's going to rehab multiple times that are like forty thousand dollars a month is what one of the quotes are yeah you know and that's a whole nother conversation we can have but i i do really really enjoy how much this movie makes me think how it can take two very real characters who maybe aren't compatible and maybe the story isn't as clean as people are used to. But that's why it's so important and why I think it will be timeless and why we're watching it in 2018 and it's still relevant to talk about. 2023, but yeah. 2023. When it came out in 2018. Oh, yeah, I, I misspoke. <laughs> we watched it both. We so. watched it both times, yeah. that's true. And so I'm going to stick with an 8.5. I still think there's always room for improvement for sure. Um, I think that the portrayal of all the actors were really, really well done. Um, I, too, would be interested in seeing the movies, but I do think... um, Reading the books? (laughs) (laughs) Must be getting close to the end of the podcast, huh? Yep. Um, But I think that's all I'll say about it. I'll get off my my soapbox. I won't talk too much about the 
the socioeconomic stuff. But well, um, I, I think it makes sense because if I gave it a 6.5 and you gave it a an 8.5, that kind of levels out to right where Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb has it. I think that makes sense. I, I think it, it's a good film. I think you guys should watch it and you should let us know what you think about it. Mm-hmm. I'd be very curious to hear other takes of it, especially from a different perspective of somebody who maybe didn't come from a different home or a broken home, excuse me, or right. didn't come from a family who suffers from addiction or something like that. Um, to this day, I'm still jealous of Vito that he gets to live Hmm. in a house with a family of parents who love each other. (laughs) And who are together. Yeah. I think that's it for me. What about you? I think that's it. Okay. Well, thank you for listening to Ticket Talk, where we encourage you to make your relationships the best movies of your life. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ticket Talk. Make sure to join us next week when we discuss a new movie that we're either going to love or hate. And if you want to join the debate, we are on Instagram at Ticket Talk Pod. Each week we plan to put out two episodes, one without spoilers and one with spoilers, so you can decide if you want to see these movies too. We look forward to talking to you next time. Bye! Bye.